0: Open your Bibles with me to Revelation 20 as we continue our study. How about three praises, something that happened during this week or something that came to your mind that you'd like to praise God for right now? Tina. Riley's home, home, very unexpectedly. Someone else, two more. Something you'd like to praise God for before we start, yes. Yes. Trials that bring growth. Amen. One more. Yes. Um, the, uh, the prayer revival that's going on in Kentucky for the last two weeks gone viral. Yep. yep. God is still alive. Somebody was going to say something over here. I thought so. Maybe not. Maybe not. All right. We'll continue our study in Revelation 20. Um, we are studying this thousand year reign of christ while there is still free will on earth we think of um, the teacher of the rapture in the bible is the apostle paul and he tells us in titus chapter 2 and verse 13 that the hope of the christian is the rapture as we wait for our great and glorious god and savior jesus christ the hope for a jew the hope for israel i should say is the second coming to earth And the Millennium so we have a a book with over 8,800 promises in it and as I mentioned last week there are more promises to the Jews about the Millennium than any other thing in the Bible so we are stepping into something in a in a time of replacement theology where it is being taught in Christian churches that God has done with the Jews and it's now the church and this is the Millennium and as we looked Last week, briefly, how how filled with promises about the millennium the Bible is, both for the Israel and for the church, but when we read about Israel, the end for Israel is what Jesus calls in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, the end of the times of the Gentiles. So from 605 BC, when Daniel was taken captive, to the return of christ at the end of the tribulation is the times of the gentiles times when gentiles oppress israel and their light and their hope at the end of this is the millennium where their messiah will sit physically on a throne where all of their enemies will be defeated where christ himself will cleanse the earth we saw a river coming out from underneath the throne last week that Everything it touches, it purifies. Well, Christ is on his millennial throne. And Daniel and all of the prophets point to this moment, the deliverance of Israel at the return of Christ. For three and a half years, Michael has been protecting every Jewish believer in the tribulation until this moment. And... Christ returns and sets up his throne. There is so much Israel that we're going to get through a few more verses today. I want to read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll pray before we begin our study. John writes, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, that's the first of 6 times and 6 verses that you will see thousand mill is a thousand years millennium millennium he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended after that he must be set free for a short time i saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we anticipate not only heaven, um, the, the glorious hope for us in this room who have made Christ Lord is the rapture. We will be with him wherever he goes from that moment on. We we know that from that moment on, many things will take place, a horrible time on earth called the tribulation, the second coming of your son, and ultimately his reign on earth that will never end. Help us to understand more of your plan today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we won't stay here very long, but you look up some of the things before we move on is that he explains effectively in verses 4 through 6 that we will look into it more next week, but every person from every age that has made Christ Lord from Adam through the millennium into the millennium will be priests of God, as we had heard Leo read this morning. He has made us a kingdom of priests. So we think of those terms, prophet is someone who represents God to humans. A priest is someone who represents humans to God. And because Christ is the great high priest and has risen from the dead, allowing us to raise from the dead, we have become a kingdom of priests. We now don't have to go to a temple to meet God. We can meet him directly through his mediator, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are representing ourselves before God. So, Peter calls us a kingdom of priests. And we see here that blessed are those who are holy and take part in the first resurrection. Romans 6, 5, Paul says, If we have taken part in a death like his, we will certainly also have a resurrection like his. So, the promise of the resurrection that Adam knew about, that... Abraham clearly knew about and Moses knew about. We have that promise. And if we die to sin, if we take part in a death like his, crucified with Christ, no longer living, but living by faith in the Son of God, that death brings the promise that the second death will not be ours. So the great white throne will be every human being from Cain, through the millennium that doesn't follow Christ and they will experience a second death which will be their eternal assignment to hell. Turn to Re- Revelation 1. As we look at this priesthood before we go to really the story of God through the, the Bible and the promises that come to this millennium, Revelation 1 Verse 3, there are seven Beatitudes in Revelation, just like they are in the Gospels, and here's the first one. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, so this is prophecies that go from Genesis through the Bible, but the letters are addressed to churches. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be, just as Peter said, a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him will see that later in Zechariah. He's talking about the Jews there. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. Turn in your Bibles first of all to Romans chapter 11 before we go back to Abraham. So Paul defines what is called in the Bible Paul's gospel. The final revelation of God relating to relationship with him is penned by the Apostle Paul as Christ is speaking through him. So we have this, this book that has the reality that whatever God reveals to you, you must say yes to. So for a long period of time, there's no Bible, there's no um, written word of God to obey, there is creation. So Psalm 19, again, draw, derived from two psalms put together. The first one is God's first book, creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And then David writes, they have no speech, they use no words, yet their sound goes out into all the earth. So Paul writes in Romans 1.20 that through that message alone, everyone will be held accountable. They couldn't be held accountable if God is just unless through that they could be his. They could acknowledge him as Lord. So in Romans chapter 2, he addresses the Jews. And then in chapter 3 through chapter 8, he addresses Gentiles. Chapter 9, 10, and 11, he's talking about Israel. So in talking about israel paul is explaining we will be studying this on wednesday nights election that is corporate and election that is individual election that is individual is the same jew or gentile slave or free christ becomes your lord and your savior election as a nation is israel they are not saved because he elected them He elected them to be his representatives on earth so Paul is explaining that all of Israel was called to follow the law and that those who followed it in their heart Paul will explain they are born again they are messianics like we are Christians Messiah is for Israel Um, it is Jewish and Christ is Greek So Paul is explaining that in Romans and we'll get to chapter 11 and verse 25. He is explaining what happened in Isaiah 6 that Isaiah explains the hardening that is on Israel because they would reject him when he would come. So in verse 25, Paul says, writing to Gentiles speaking about Israel, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in, meaning the rapture. At the rapture, Paul will explain to us that the hardening will be taken off of Israel. They will now be reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John knowing he was the Messiah, understanding that he was the Messiah, and Paul is saying, I want you to understand, they've been hardened in part, meaning two things. Number one, a Jew can be saved today. Um, one of the theologians that I appreciate is Michael Rydelnik, who the chosen ones um, from New York, uh, a ministry to Jews, someone asked him as an Orthodox Jew, so you Jews have always worshipped at the temple? And he said, yes. And she said, where do you worship now? And he said, that floored me, and I had no answer. And he, through that, became a follower of Jesus Christ and and is a, a very effective messianic theologian today at Moody Bible Institute, reading on verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. We will explain that when we get to Daniel chapter 12. He is not saying because they're Jews, they will be saved. But he's talking about the Jews that are waiting when Christ returns. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So he says, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. They are loved as God's wife in the Bible, the nation of Israel, because of people like Abraham. Their, their pushing against God has brought the gospel to the Gentiles like God always knew that it would. Turn to Genesis chapter 12 as we, we quickly go through this historical faith journey. God calling Abraham, if we dipped back into chapter 11, we would see that Terah and Abram and his brother and his nephew would leave Chaldea, which is effectively Babylon. So Abraham is born in a place where the Tower of Babel is pretty recent to Abraham's heritage and that God made them go out and fill the earth and there were people that stayed around Babylon or Chaldea. Nebuchadnezzar was a Chaldean. Abraham was in this territory making idols according to Joshua in the Bible and worshiping false gods and God confronts him. All he has is a vision from God at this point in creation, and he's interested and he follows. And several years later, we pick him up at 75 years old in Genesis chapter 12, and as we begin to look at this faith journey of Abraham, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, he's not Abram yet. Abraham means father of many nations. God will give him that name later. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Paul explains that thoroughly in Romans 4, that if you are a follower of Christ, you are a descendant of Abraham. Jew or Gentile. Verse 4, So Abram went and the Lord, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So a few years before this, they leave from the Euphrates River just south of Babylon or where Baghdad is today, and they go up north to Haran. Haran is likely named after Abraham's brother, Haran. So they go from there then Terah dies there his father and he leaves there and goes all the way down to bethel and finally down to jerusalem and each time god shows him something god shows him creation god that's what every person thinks no matter what they tell you when they see creation and then he comes to him in a vision and says abraham come with me where are we going i'll tell you later Think of the faith that it took to say, I'll come. And he followed. This is a 75-year-old man, well settled in his ways, leaving home to a territory he's unfamiliar with because God keeps putting things in front of him. Turn to Genesis 15. That encounter in your notes there was 2091 B.C., before Christ. We're now looking at 10 years later, He's delivered Lot. He has no son. He's in great fear, and he comes before him. And as I've said before, Paul says in the gospel, and understand in Romans 10, Paul is preaching from Deuteronomy when he says you must confess him as Lord. To the Jews, that's Adonai. And to Greeks, that is Kyrios, which means master, ruler, king. So to this point in the Bible, we've known Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. We know Aleph-Tab, which is the same to Hebrew as the Greek is, Alpha and Omega. And then we are introduced in Genesis 2 to Yahweh, who is the personal relationship pursuing God. So Elohim, same person, creates the heavens and the earth. Yahweh walks in the garden on the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, and he's pursuing them. Sin comes on the scene, and Yahweh comes to them and says, what happened, Adam? And now they have to choose to follow God and repent of their sins, and we see a demonstration of that. Abraham now has been following God for some time, more than a decade, and he's gripped with fear, I have 318 men. I'm in Canaan, surrounded by enemies. Um, I've rescued my nephew. You told me nations are going to be blessed through me. Eliezer is going to be, my servant is going to be my heritage because I don't have a son. Where's my son? But he addresses him in verse 2. It says in the English Bible, sovereign Lord. In the Hebrew for the first time, we have Adonai. Adonai means master. Ruler, king, authority. So for the first time in our Bible, through Abraham's lips, Sovereign Lord, Adonai, Yahweh. You're all powerful. This is like a Mary experience with Gabriel, where she's not questioning God, but how is it going to happen? And he takes him out, he shows him the stars, and he says, it's not going to be Eliza. You're going to have a son. Count these stars if you can. And in verse 6, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Paul says we must confess him as Lord. Abraham says, Adonai. And we must believe in our heart. Abraham's not being asked to believe in the resurrection because there hasn't been one. He needs to believe that the person speaking to him can make his... Descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he believes. Confesses, believes. Abraham has a a full relationship with God. Now turn to, or actually drop down to verse 18. Where he makes the land covenant with Abram. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. So this covenant is made in 2081 BC where more than 4000 years beyond that and this has never happened. They got tired of conquering. They didn't possess all of this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the Euphrates, but the promise still remains. Paul says in Hebrews 4 and they will possess that in the millennium. Turn to Genesis 22. this very dramatic, touching demonstration of faith by Abraham. Where God, in Abraham's growth now, trusting in Adonai, whatever I do will ha- say will happen, whatever I say to do, do it. Abraham has grown to the place here where, Lord, whatever you tell me, I'll do it. Which is where he wants to position us. He says okay here's what i want you to do i want you to go to mount moriah which is where solomon would build the temple it's where jesus would reside and it's where jesus will return in the millennium and i want you to sacrifice your son your only son and paul writes in hebrews that he reasoned in his mind that if i kill him he'll bring him back that's how strong his faith was so we pick up the conversation in verse 15 The angel of the Lord who is always, when it's the angel of the Lord, it is always a theophany or an appearance of Christ before he is born to Mary. And here is one of the clearest places that we know that it's Yahweh. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares Yahweh, the Lord, that because you have done this, And have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So he's positioned as Adonai. You are my master, you give me instructions. Um, his instructions are take your son's life for me your only son he is willing to do it and this is from a human perspective when abraham was 75 years old god promised him the inheritance of the nations the gospel paul says through abraham from god's perspective it was before the creation of time but also from god's perspective This is 43 years later from Genesis 12 when he informs Abraham the reason I made that promise is because I knew you would offer your son. So in God's knowledge of omniscience, he is choosing someone in Chaldea that he knows will trust him enough to give him his son. And because he knows that back here, he says back here that I will bless all people through you and you will be a father of many nations. And he says because you've offered your one and only son, like John 3.16, that's why I promised you. So we go forward to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And we come forward 636 years from Genesis 12. And God is Deuteronomy 30. Most all prophecies in the Bible find their birthplace in the book of Deuteronomy. So he's been prophesying in chapter 28, 29, and 30, the history of Israel before there is a history of Israel. And he prophesies the millennium in chapter 30. Verse 1, When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him, like Abraham did, with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, Matthew twenty eight twenty, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from from all the nations where he has scattered you. So he is prophesying hundreds of years before they disobey, hundreds of years before they have a nation and a king on a throne named Saul, that what's going to happen is you're going to go there, you're going to demand a king. Samuel, it's not you they're rejecting that they want a king. Christ says, it's me they're rejecting. But give them what they want, so they give him Saul. Then he chooses a man after his own heart. Then the nation grows and becomes sinful and they ignore the Sabbath rest of the land and they worship idols. And Moses, before any of that happens, says, you're going to go there, you're going to worship idols, you're going to ignore the Sabbath, God is going to disperse you throughout the Gentile nations. And when he returns, he will put you all back together. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel as we go forward another 445 years. Jacob has prophesied over his son Judah in Genesis 49 that the scepter will not depart from Judah until he to whom it belongs returns and the obedience of the nations will be his. So Judah has had this knowledge for a long time When David comes on the scene, David's from a small clan in Judah who resides in Bethlehem, and they're shepherds, and David becomes king. David has an interesting relationship with God. He calls him sovereign repeatedly in your English here in this chapter, calling him Adonai, and he wants to build a temple. God says, no, you have blood on your hands. Your son will build a temple, but the kingdom... And the throne that you sit on, David, is reserved for my son, my Yahweh, the King of Kings, will sit there. So as we look here um, in verse, let's see, 20, or verse 16, first of all, where he makes this promise: your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, your throne will be established forever. David is blown away. And he prays to God and says, I can't believe you're doing this, but do what you have promised. We pick it up in verse 25. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then the people will say, the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai, is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. So the promise, the forever promise now of the king comes specifically through the family of David. And it is, it is the one that Judah has reserved the scepter for and Christ will come and sit on David's throne one day. Turn to Daniel chapter two. As we leap forward another 450 years, Daniel is the prophet of kingdoms. So from a prophetic standpoint, the book of Daniel lays out the history of Israel and its oppression, the times of the Gentiles. So when Jesus talks about the times of the Gentiles, he says, go to Daniel and look at what he says. So Daniel is giving us history from 605 B.C. to the end of the tribulation when Christ comes to sit on his throne. And what's interesting is he's kind of the Apostle Paul of the Old Testament because God is done working through Israel at this point. So the first prophecy of the end when Christ returns is given to a Gentile king named Nebuchadnezzar who happens to be from the same place Abraham is from. And God uses him to take down Judah because of their sin. We pick it up in verse 44 in the interpretation of this dream. In the time of those kings that we see in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kings, Psalm 2, Psalm 72, Psalm 110. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain. The rock in the Bible is always a picture of Christ but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces, all the pictures of this vision of different Gentile nations. So turn to Daniel 7. We're moving quickly through this. Daniel essentially gets the same vision, but with more detail. So, so much of Daniel 7, the the grand central station, if you will, of prophecy in the Bible, Daniel 7, We see Revelation 4 and 5. We see much of the book of Revelation in this one chapter. And in Revelation 4 and 5, we see God the Father on his throne, the Holy Spirit in front of the throne. Christ comes to him and takes the scroll out of his hand. He is the only one that has authority. He's the only one that created everything. He's the only one that died for everything. He's the only one who can fix the problems that man has created. So he takes this scroll and John sees the church raptured in Revelation 4. John experiences the rapture. The elders are around the throne. Daniel sees the same thrones, but they're empty because Daniel can't see the rapture. But he sees Christ coming to his father to take this scroll and he describes it as authority. Verse 13... In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. So, whenever you would see in the New Testament, when the Jews ran out of ways to put him on the cross, he gave them the way. They couldn't find a crime. So they asked him, Caiaphas says, You're going to speak to me. Are you the Messiah? He says, I'm not only the Messiah. I'm the son of man who you will see coming on the clouds of heaven and I sit at the right hand of God Almighty. Now they can say to Caesar, he says he's a king higher than you are. What are you going to do about it? So that, that title that is the authoritative title of Christ in the Bible is son of man, not because he was born to Mary, because it's his authoritative title given by the Father. So look what the Father gives him. Verse 13 again. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. The only cloud rider in the Bible is Christ. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Turn to Daniel chapter 12. What Jeremiah calls the time of Jacob's trouble, what most of Revelation and most of prophecy relating to wrath is the second half of the tribulation. Three and a half years where Satan is going to lose a war in heaven to Michael. He's going to come down to earth to kill every Jew, every Christian, and every person who won't receive the mark. The Antichrist is going to be possessed by him. And the false prophet, a preacher, will rise up giving a false testimony and it will be the worst time in the history of the earth. So Jesus in Matthew 24, 21 quotes Daniel 12:1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. And here's what Jesus quotes. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, this is an important verse. Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. So Daniel is told repeatedly, this is Prophecy, Daniel, of everything that's going to happen relating to your people and the city of Jerusalem. So we read in, um, we already read in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, all Israel will be saved. By the time Jesus comes back to earth, there will be two kinds of Jews. Dead ones, who are either martyrs because they followed Christ, Or wearing the mark of the beast and the other category will be Jews that have been supernaturally protected by Michael for three and a half years and he's gonna come to them when he comes on the clouds so this is very important second half of verse 1 but at that time your people Daniel Daniel's a Jew in fact he's a Jew by truth he's from the tribe of Judah just like Jesus Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth, will awake. This goes all the way back to Adam. Some to everlasting life, difference between everlasting and eternal. Eternal is both directions without end. Everlasting is from that moment with no end. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. He's talking about the white throne, which we will look at next week. Verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Old Testament and new. Revelation 19.8, it's made very clear that how you served when you had free will will be your testimony forever in heaven. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of this scroll until the time of the end. The end is the times of the Gentiles. Luke 21, 24. Many will go here and there and increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others. And I want to understand who is speaking here. So go back to chapter 10. Daniel has been, he has the longest prophecy ministry in the Bible, which is 70 years. He's in that 70th year which coincides with the 70 years that the jews didn't obey the sabbath so in his 70th year 536 bc Revelation, or excuse me daniel 10 11 and 12 is all one vision at the end of daniel's ministry so we see in verse 1 in the third year of cyrus king of persia you can look in historical secular records or in the bible that's 536 bc who was Let me read that again. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, which is the one God uses to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. Bel is a name for a satanic god. Daniel is a name for Yahweh. El, at the end of his name, he was named after God. Reading on, Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, getting very specific here, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen. This is almost exactly like John's vision of Christ in Revelation 1. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphes around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and a voice like the sound of the multitude. This is a theophany of Christ coming to Daniel and he is giving him this message from that moment to the return of Christ. So when we go to back to Daniel chapter 12, it is Christ still speaking to Daniel beginning in verse 1. So when we come to verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others. Now there are two other angels with him one on the bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, speaking to Christ, who is above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? That's exactly what Peter, Andrew, James, and John asked Jesus in Matthew 24, and he gave them accounts of this same thing, going back to Daniel. Verse 7, the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river Lifted his right hand, and just like we saw um, in Genesis 22, it's the same person making a covenant and swearing it to Daniel. Lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. So we've seen this all throughout the book of Daniel, all throughout the book of Revelation. A time is a year. Times is two year. A half a time is half a year, so it will say it in various ways so we can be clear. It'll say time, time and half a times. It'll say three and a half years, and it'll say 1,260 days on a Jewish calendar. So he is saying until I return, it will be a time, times and half a time. Reading on, when the power of the holy people has finally been broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand, so I asked, and this is important, who does he ask? He's speaking to this person in linen, and he says, my Adonai, my Lord, what will will the outcome of this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. As we've been studying in Revelation, they're still cursing him right up to his return. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From that time on, and these things are only recorded in these end verses in Daniel, this is the celebration, the wedding, and the final Yom Kippur of Israel leading into the millennium. From that time on, the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, which Jesus quotes Daniel 9 when Daniel says, that's the midpoint. So Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, or 15, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, let the reader understand. So he's telling Daniel here, the wicked people won't understand, but those who are wise will understand that it's 1260 days until the Messiah. And now the celebrations, verse 11. From the time of the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation, this is the image of the Antichrist that Daniel and Paul and John speak extensively about. There will be 1290 days we're now 30 days into the millennium. Blessed is the one who waits and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. 75 days into the millennium. That's how long the celebration for the wedding supper with Israel and Christ will be. And Ezekiel tells us we will participate in that after we've already had our wedding with Christ. Verse 13, as for you, go your way till. Un- Wait till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Turn to Ezekiel, actually, back a book to chapter 20. Ezekiel 20. So the first people to receive their rewards is the church. That's God's plan. He is telling Daniel, until the end you won't receive yours, and that's at the times of the Gentiles. So this is the the Yom Kippur of all Yom Kippurs, the Day of Atonement for Israel. When he comes back, he's literally giving us a picture that he's going to hold out his shepherd's staff like a shepherd would, count the sheep when they go under it. And Daniel 12, 1 says, Those whose names are found written in the book will be delivered. So he's giving, Ezekiel's giving a picture of that judgment of the Jews. Verse 33 As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, that's Adonai Yahweh, I will reign over you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with outpoured wrath. That's what. It was a picture of when Joshua took them into what was Canaan at that time, and we see the same language here. Verse 34, I will bring you from the nations, we read that in Deuteronomy 30, and will gather you from the countries where you have been scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with outpoured wrath, I will bring you into the wilderness of the nations, and there, face to face, I will execute judgment upon you. As I judged your ancestors in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will judge you, declares the sovereign Lord. I will take note of you as you pass under my rod. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. The covenant made all the way back with Abraham, the covenant of Jeremiah 31, where we are born again, and he will remember our sins no more. He, he is prophesying through Ezekiel that day is coming, I'm coming back to earth, and I'm going to judge Israel. Turn to Ezekiel 37. So much of Ezekiel is written about this return and this Jewish regathering, so... You have the valley of the dry bones. It's literally, Ezekiel has a vision and he walks into a valley and there's bones laying everywhere. And and God puts flesh on them and he gives them life. He breathes into them with his spirit and they stand on their feet. And it's a picture of broken Israel coming back to life. So to understand and appreciate how long they've been waiting a, a messianic Jew today a Christ follower who's a Jew the third king over all Israel was Solomon he reigned from 970 BC to 930 BC Moses in the book of Numbers said okay if you're going to have a king here's four rules don't go back to Egypt for horses don't Accumulate lots of gold and silver. Don't have many wives. Solomon breaks them all. So in 930 B.C., his son Rehoboam gets on the throne over all Israel and says, I'm going to be harder on you than Solomon was. And the nation is ripped in two. So since 930 B.C., 3,000 years ago, Israel has not been a nation that includes the 12 tribes of Israel. So when we read in Deuteronomy, I'm going I'm to go throughout the earth and I'm going to bring you all back. We have to appreciate what that is. Jews that are walking around Illinois are going to be brought back if they follow Christ or if they come to know Christ in the tribulation. So 930 B.C. they were ripped into two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, which Christ would come through and ten northern tribes that have been exiled Since then, they were separated. There are good kings and bad kings in Judah. There are no good kings in Israel. So in 722 BC, God takes Assyria and he takes captive the northern ten tribes. And since 722 BC, none of them have even lived in the land of Israel. That's a long time. So they are ripped away from Israel. Sennacherib and Shalmaneser and these Assyrian kings force them to intermarry with Gentiles. Once they're intermarried with Gentiles, they're called Samaritans. Jews hate Samaritans more than they do Gentiles. And that's why the woman at the well is such a touching story. And that's why Luke 10, the good Samaritan, is such a such an anti-racism picture that he paints that this Samaritan person helps when the religious people walk by. So since 722 B.C., there have been none of the ten tribes. Since 605 B.C., when Daniel was taken, they've never really occupied Israel the way they did before then. Their last good king was Josiah. So as we read this, It doesn't mean as much seemingly to us, but what we will be participating in this. Verse 13, Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Drop down to verse 22. I will make them one nation, talking about Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, in the land, on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over them, and they will never again be two nations or divided into two kingdoms. They will never, they will no longer defile themselves with their idols and their vile images or with any of their offenses for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. My servant David and Ezekiel talks of great links. I don't understand exactly how, but David is gonna be brought back to life and he's gonna be their prince and their shepherd. My servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant from that moment on. I will establish them and increase their numbers and will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary among them is among them forever. Turn to Zechariah right before Matthew and Malachi, back to Zechariah. The Messianic prophet of the Bible is talking about when the Jews... Waiting for him, see his return. In Zechariah 12, beginning in verse 8, on that day, and he's talking about that day he comes back to Israel riding on the clouds. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David. And the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. Here's Revelation 1-7. We read it earlier. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieves bitterly for him as one grieves for his firstborn son. So if we do kind of a recap of what has happened from that midpoint of the tribulation, Jesus says it will be the time of greatest distress that there has ever been. He says if there's nursing mothers or pregnant women, I I pity for you in a sense in that time. He says to his disciples, when you see the abomination that causes desolation set up in the temple, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, get out of Jerusalem. Because every Jew in Jerusalem will now be killed. And every Christ follower is going to be hunted. So at that same time, in Revelation 12, Michael, the most powerful angel, has war in heaven with Satan and all the demons who still have access to heaven. Michael wins Satan is cast down woe to the earth the revelation says because he has been cast down to you and he is hunting Jews and he is hunting Christians and he is hunting Westerners and he is hunting everyone who doesn't have the mark as they go to the wilderness Zacharias says that two-thirds of them will die on the way there but these are all believers They're all people who are reading Matthew 24 and they're reading Revelation 12 and they see the image and they flee to the wilderness. And Michael, Daniel teaches us, will come there to meet them and Satan cannot touch them for three three and a half years. These Jews are in this safety haven of the wilderness surrounded by the power of God and Michael, and they're thinking for three and a half years about their ancestors putting Christ on the cross. And they know when he's coming back. They know the day. And Christ comes in the clouds, and the Jews are gathered in this place, and they're weeping like one weeps. For a lost only son, Zachariah says. This wilderness is being drenched with tears. It's our Messiah. It's our Messiah. Our ancestors put him on the cross and we're here to claim him as king. And we can't really grasp at gen- as Gentiles what that will be like. A couple verses in your notes there. Jesus says to the Samaritan woman at the well, which is actually a plot given to Joseph, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. All throughout the New Testament, you would see Paul taking up collections at churches and leaving with them. He's taking all of those collections back to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he gives it to impoverished, persecuted Jews. And he is explaining in Romans 15 27 in your notes there that that needs to be done for Macedonia and Acacia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews spiritual blessings they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings and i'm convicted more and i think as a church we should be doing more we're to be helping impoverished jews turn to matthew 25 and see how important that is to jesus so i supported one i would just broadcast to you the fellowship of jews and um, christians I, i stopped supporting because They do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't want anything to do with the church, but there are organizations like the Chosen Ones who are Messianic Jews reaching and helping Jews, and all of the money that you would give there would go directly to impoverished Jews. So in Matthew 24 and 25, which is the Olivet Discourse, it's where Jesus is teaching everything I've been teaching today to Peter, Andrew, James, and John right before he goes to the cross. And in Matthew chapter 25, he gives parables of Yom Kippur, of what I will judge you by. And so we have a parable of the Jews, two of them. We'll just read the first one. We have have heard over and over again today, I will put my spirit in you. The, The physical picture to a Jew of the Holy Spirit is oil. Verse 1, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. This is describing this elaborate banquet coming. Who took their lamps, the lamps is like a picture of our soul, and the oil is like a picture of the Holy Spirit, and went in and went out to meet the bridegroom, meaning Christ. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. They heard the message, faith comes from hearing, but they didn't receive the message. Verse 4, The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet that we saw in Daniel that's going to be 75 days long, and the door was shut. Later the others came, Lord, Lord, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. I want us to read the, the parable of the sheep and goats, beginning in verse 31, because this is about Gentiles. He will explain that in the first couple of verses. I want to tell you, so in the interest of time, to explain what's going to happen here. People who are Gentiles, will be determined to have been Christians by how they helped the Jews in the tribulation. It will be bad for Gentiles who follow Christ, but it will be like World War II in Germany for Jews, nonstop. So these things prick at my heart that I should be doing more to help Jews than I'm currently doing. Verse 31, this is a separation of sheep and goats, saved and lost gentiles when Christ returns when the son of man there's that title capital S son of man Daniel 7:13 comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or need, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, meaning the Jews, You did for me. So there will be, similar to World War II, there will be Gentiles who are hiding Jews, who are feeding Jews, who are visiting them in prison, who are helping them get to the wilderness. And Jesus is saying, here, when I come back, you're with me. The dark side of the opposite of that, beginning in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's an important verse because hell was not created for human beings. Human beings will be there because they reject Christ. It was always meant for Satan and his minions. Verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They, will, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So we are part of a Jewish covenant. The covenant that is repeated over and over again in the New Testament that that, um, I will forgive their sins and remember them no more. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jesus says salvation is of the Jews. So I'm not a Jewish born person. But my salvation is a Jewish blessing that came through a Jewish Messiah from a Jewish nation. When we are finally in heaven beyond the millennium, there will be 12 gates around Jerusalem to enter, and each one of them will have one of the tribes written over the top of it. And then the foundations of these walls of this immense, incredible city, the New Jerusalem, will have 12 foundations, and each foundation will have the name of a Jewish apostle. And we will enter that city when we get into the millennium and they're doing sacrifices that Moses did in honor of the king who is now present, we will be doing them too. We will have a, a clear heart and a clear conscience and a clear connection to the Jews. Paul says in Romans fifteen twenty-seven that we owe it to the Jews to help them if they're in trouble. Jesus is saying in Matthew 25, if you don't help them, that's evidence enough for me in the tribulation. Heavenly Father, help us to most of all appreciate our Jewish Messiah, knowing that in 1 Peter 1.20, when he was chosen to pay for sin, that he would pay for the sin full price of every human being who will accept him and every human being who will not. Help us, Lord, as we read in Revelation 1-3, to take this to heart because the King is coming. And as Jesus told us, it will be too late when he's here. Help us to share the message of the cross effectively. In Jesus' name, amen.